Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen, and today I have the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Jordan Shallow and Stan the Rhino Efferding to have a conversation about nutrition for performance. Stan is an IFBB professional bodybuilder and powerlifter, and also the co owner founder of the Vertical Diet. So you can expect a lot of information, knowledge surrounding the topic of nutrition, hydration, sodium, and a lot of misconceptions that surround the fitness industry and the diet industry in general. So I hope you guys enjoy. As always, don't forget to screenshot this episode, post it on your Instagram, tag me at Steffi Cohen for a chance to be entered to win some free hybrid legacy swag. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, it's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science backed electrolyte ratio 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. With, no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. Uh, without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Welcome to Hybrid Unlimited, Stan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be back. Thank you so much for coming. Are you still vertical? 100%. 100% vertical. 100% vertical, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, it's just a kind of a, a compilation of all the things that I feel like I've learned through 30 years of competing and coaching in college and collaborating with great coaches and athletes. and it, uh, it just means easy to digest foods, um, primarily from a you know a wider variety in comparison to the typical guru or uh, you know bikini diets that you see in the fitness industry. Um, I don't demonize foods that I think are of high value, um, highly bioavailable, micronutrient dense, easy to digest foods that feel good on me. You know things I can eat consistently every day and perform well with. Um, I don't demonize red meat. I don't demonize fruit. I don't demonize. Uh, dairy, I don't demonize sodium, and I include all those mainly for the performance benefit, uh, but also because they feel good on my stomach. So that to me is is kind of vertical. It's just giving people all the the, the foundation of foods that they need, plus making it so they're not um, having digestive issues or um, like in the uh, fitness industry, um, over restrictive diets that might lead to some poor health outcomes long term. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you say that that feel good to you, but obviously the what you propose with a vertical diet is not simply anecdotal, it's also based on evidence. Yeah, you know, I partnered with uh, Damon McCune, PhD, RDN, some three, four years ago to, uh, to go through to make sure we had 
you know, a scientific basis for what we're recommending. And obviously, you know, you, calories are king and the macronutrients are second. And I, I focus on protein as, uh, as an athlete, but I think, you know, now we're seeing that, that just about everyone should be focused on protein for lean mass retention. But then I get down into the micronutrients and make sure that everybody has uh, sufficient micronutrients, which op oftentimes uh, in dieters uh, falls short. And then the, the science base really is, is the next piece of that is I, I tend to focus on what we call low FODMAP mm -hmm. foods that, that are easier to digest. FODMAPs are um, they're, uh, fermentable oligodye, monosaccharides, and polyols. And those are things that might tend to give people gas or bloating or indigestion, particularly those with IBS uh, or just ones who are more uh, susceptible to a lot of uncomfortable gas and bloating. And, and FODMAPs is um, kind of a, a system that was studied and, and devised to uh, provide relief to some upwards of 60 to 80% of people who utilize that particular menu. So it's not something I invented. Uh, I found the foods that worked for me many, many years ago. Um, and then when I discovered uh, that there was a lot of science behind a more diverse list of foods, I was able to expand and try things from this FODMAP list. And you can just Google FODMAP, F-O-D-M-A-P, and it gives you suggestions as for which foods may or may not cause gas and bloating. Uh, so I, I use that as kind of the basis of the diet so people can feel good, have less bloating, um, and maybe resolve some of their autoimmune issues or uh, IBS problems, which is very common I've seen in the fitness industry. I'm talking about the professional dieters, bodybuilding, figure, physique, bikini. Mm -hmm. And then on the other flip side of that, amongst us uh, powerlifters, strongmen, uh, you know, even football linemen types that are trying to gain a ton of weight, uh, I found it a lot easier for our digestion to eat uh, when you have such a huge caloric demand to eat the kind of foods that cause less of those problems. And you're not racing to the bathroom all the time. Seems you better utilize those foods. Just less stress on the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really like the focus on micronutrients, especially coming from, personally coming from a background of if it fits your macros, where, I mean, there was a point in my life where I was drinking, like, I don't know, an isopure and three cupcakes was breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, perfect. You know, I have my protein, I have my carbs, my fats. Actually, I did that the other day. I bought a protein shake from the gas station after my workout, a bag of Reese's Pieces, and um, uh, Starbursts. Yeah. How'd you feel? That's what I'm curious about after consuming that. You know what? I feel yeah. indestructible at this point. Maybe it's because I'm still young. Good for you. But well, that, I, no, for me, that's always the question of adaptation and optimization, which I'm curious. Because like, one thing I really like about this is in the introduction of FODMAPs is most people think that FODMAP foods are healthy foods. Right? Like, so I Google searched a list of asparagus, uh, cauliflower, celery, kidney beans, garlic, soybeans, all these are all things that are commonly seen in mushrooms that are seen in like quote unquote healthy food. Yeah. So it seems to have like found somewhere of like a middle ground where it's like we know maybe like if healthy maybe means more micronutrient sparse or sorry, dense. healthy is micronutrient dense and you know you could eat all of these foods which are probably are high in micronutrients or you could have the gas station diet like our friend over here, which are not high in micronutrients. Like I like the, the idea of vertical because it, it, it integrates those two concepts of like, look, there are some things like where we should try and major in some of the minor of the micronutrition, but also like 
the conventional model of healthy is kind of broken from a digestion standpoint as well. Like I remember eating asparagus and cauliflower to try and lose weight, and <laughs> I was a gas bomb. Yeah, it was a yeah. night you couldn't be. I was like, oh, it's probably the egg whites. I'm like, I can eat egg whites until the cows come home, no problem. It's very easy on my digestion. I have asparagus. You clear out every single public bathroom I'm in, and from both sides. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like to look at it in terms of good food, bad food. I really don't. It's just some people are more susceptible. And so it gives you kind of a guideline to say, well, if I don't want, if I have and don't want uh, to have those kinds of responses from the foods I eat, here's a list that's been studied um, and it shows a significant relief for the vast majority of people who uses it. That Then you can start to reintroduce those maybe in smaller amounts. Uh, it, it's, it's individualistic. Different people have different responses. It's dose dependent, the amount you eat can matter. Uh, how the food's prepared, whether it's cooked long enough uh, to, to uh, maybe deactivate some of those FODMAPs. Um, and it's uh, cumulistic, cumulative in nature. So you might be able to have, say, sugar alcohols in a small amount, but if you eat too much of them, and it's kind of like a bucket over the course of the day, it might spill over to where you then get an adverse reaction. So I'm cautious. I hate doing the good food, bad food, because people ask me all the time, well, can I eat this on the vertical diet? And it's not a matter of yay or nay, it's a matter of, well, how do you respond to it? And here's a stepwise approach that you can take to minimize a reaction, uh, because it might be good to reintroduce some of these foods. Uh, typically, FODMAPs are introduced for people who have IBS. And uh, it's a therapeutic measure, and then you like to try and reintroduce the other foods um, the presumption is, is that if you go strictly FODMAP, that it might reduce the biodiversity of your gut mm -hmm. microbiome. Uh, so you do want to keep some prebiotics in there, which I think is, is satisfied with potatoes, carrots, those are both prebiotics, but also more easily digestible. Uh, and then yogurt, probiotics, is, a, is another very helpful, beneficial for the, for the gut biome. So I, I try and keep just enough in there to where you can get the kind of relief that you're looking for without potentially compromising the microbiome. As little as we know about it, though, it's really hard to say at this point that, that, that it would be adverse. But, uh, you know, I try and talk to professionals in the industry uh, and get their feedback on how to best verbalize this so I, I'm not demonizing foods or food groups. Have you ever ran into issues with, like, either yourself or others that inadvertently by adopting like any dietary approach begin like a cessation process of something that they've had in their diet for a long time like gluten is probably what i'm driving at the yeah. most frequently where people inadvertently or purposefully go i'm going to stop gluten sometimes for you know celiac or some other reason where they can't digest it but sometimes people are like well i've heard it's healthy to just eat gluten free <laughs> the next thing you know it's like they have a gluten and they're fucked for like weeks on end have you, ever, have you ever had any issues where it's like, you know, you go and just a pizza and beer, and next thing you know, you're like, oh, man, like, this is, this is yeah. worse than it used to be? Or? When you eat clean for a while and then right. you reintroduce something, particularly over-consume it, which you're apt to do when you uh, avoid and then reintroduce. It's usually a binge. You know, it's yeah. not just a piece of pizza. It's the whole right. pizza. YOLO. And, and usually just the over-consumption itself will lead to uh, the gas or the inflammation, right. uh, it's not associated necessarily with a particular macronutrient or, uh, or the food, but just the, the quantity uh, or something that you haven't had in a while and maybe your, your gut isn't used to. We know this with, uh, say, lactose. If you, if you abstain from lactose for a while, your lactase enzyme 
uh, will decline in, in quantity in the body. And so when you reintroduce lactose, you should probably do titrate it over a course of, of weeks or so, so that you can, to see how much you can handle. So it has more to do with, it, maybe not a, um, how would you say, an allergy, but an intolerance. Right. And that tolerance level is different for different people. And like you said, whether or not that individual has uh, had that, not had that food item for a while, and then introduces it in quantity, uh, then they'll have potentially pretty significant reactions. I'm so curious to like what, because we were walking over here and we're talking about like your, your training career, like going back with bodybuilding and powerlifting, like you're, you know, you'd said that in the book you were mentioning that you lost and gained well over a thousand pounds. Oh, yeah. and, but upon thinking about it, it's probably more like 2,000. Uh, Intentionally so. Right. Yeah. But Mike, like, I just want to know, because you had laid out, he's the most robotic person when it comes to, <laughs> he has all his meals. Like, I've never heard of anyone as consistent as this. But I want to know, like, the dark secret. Like, I want to know the stand efforting at, like, yeah. 1230. And it's like the Uber Eats app is open. It's Vegas. It's all, like, no holds barred. What do you reach for? Hold yeah. on. Let, let me, let me backtrack a little bit to that question. It's, it's related, though. Yeah. Why? Like, I, why are you so disciplined with your nutrition? Uh, one main reason is, as I've said this before, that I don't eat foods I like, I eat foods that like me, and I make this decision about an hour after I eat. And so it's kind of delayed gratification or delayed avoidance of, you know, adverse effects. So I've just always had a sensitive digestion. I discovered, you know, many, many years later, it was as a result of seed oils. I have an allergy if I eat even a small amount of seed oils, um, if anything's cooked in it, or if it's adulterated with it, you know, and mixed in it, uh, then I get, uh, you know, severe gastric distress. Like so, how severe? Uh, like, any, anything with a radius. The, can you clear this room? <laughs> I probably okay. Can. can you clear the warehouse? You know, it's almost on a timer. I, I was. I took the kids to Circus Circus. I live in Vegas. And I took them down there to go to the water park. We were there longer than we thought, and I hadn't uh, packed meals with me. And on the way out, I was starving, and, and so we stopped at the buffet. And I thought, I could find some chicken in here, and I could find maybe some rice. Well, the chicken is soaked in vegetable oil to prevent it from burning when it's grilling. Right. And it had the skin on, and I thought, I'll just tear the skin off. And the rice was rice pilaf, and so it was soaked with vegetable oils. But I was super hungry, so I ate rice and chicken. I thought I could get by with that. And it, almost like you set a timer as soon as I finished eating, 30 minutes later, I'm like looking around, where's the bathroom? And I'm mm -hmm. racing to the bathroom, and I get explosive diarrhea, if I can okay. be any more specific <laughs> yeah. than that. I play that card all the time. Yeah. I have something to do in 30 minutes. Uh, wife's going to be home in 30 minutes. Where's the pilaf? <laughs> yeah. I'm set this so, yeah. Sorry, sweetheart. Look, I'm going to be in here for a while. The yeah, I did a video where I talked more specifically about the feet levitating, and the, the kind of, <laughs> you, you need a shower afterwards. And, uh, but I, drywall. So I've always had a challenge with digestion, so I've kind of... Uh, had to pick foods based on how I responded to them. Uh, and then I was also the little guy. I was 140 pounds in college. You know, I was a freshman in college. I weighed 140. And I need proof of <laughs> well, that. I just think it's like, oh, no, Stan is just low-key brilliant, and he was in college when he was six years old. Like, that's the only way I see No, you that was it. I wrestled 106 bucks. as a freshman and a sophomore. And, uh, 98 as a freshman and sophomore. 106 is a junior. That's a Yeah, so I was pretty light. And my, my pops played tennis in college. He was 150 pounds. So, you know, it's not like there's big in the family. But I got to college, I was so small, and I wanted to become a pro bodybuilder. And you're 140 pounds, and the, the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim unless you're going to be able to eat enough food. Uh, so I was on a clock. I mean, my backpack was full of food, not books. 
I would go to the, the cafeteria in the morning with extra Ziploc baggies and be stuffing food, you know, hard-boiled eggs and chicken breasts into my Ziploc baggies and then just eating it all day throughout class. But on a clock, like, you know, we used to always just like every three hours, just like clockwork, I would eat. And I was always training with guys who were bigger and, and had a, probably a better propensity for growth. I trained with uh, Aaron Madrin, it's the name of some of the old timers I remember, who was a IFEB pro bodybuilder, was on the cover of all the magazines and stuff. He was just phenomenal, even as a teenager. I mean, he's like 32 inch legs and 22 inch calves. And I mean, he was just monstrous kind of guy. And you'd stand there and look at the mirror, you know, the two of us posing together. And you're like, I got to do more. So I had to sleep more, eat more, you know, I had to be more consistent uh, all those years. So I guess it just kind of historically has always been this is what I needed to do in order to achieve my goals, and it just became habitual to me. And I found that every time I got out of that routine, that everything seemed to go a little crazy. I wasn't as organized. I, you know, I, um, you, you end up actually saving time and money by planning those things out. And even now that, that I've got kids and I'm traveling, uh, it's just easier for me to, to be organized. That's fascinating. Yeah. How long was the adaptation period uh, as far as increasing your caloric intake goes? You know, because obviously if you're maintaining 140 pounds, kind of naturally you're eating a certain amount of calories and then you're yeah. slowly introducing more and more calories. And I've seen people try to gain weight and it's almost equally as difficult as losing weight yeah. in the sense of having to force feed yourself. So I'm just curious, like how long did it take you until it felt natural to eat that amount of calories? It took years. I, I think that I was, like my first bodybuilding show, after two years of training, I weighed 158 on stage. And after was, two years? Yeah, after two years. So it, uh, I didn't gain very fast initially because I was eating the diet that the guy behind the counter at Gold's Gym was eating, which was uh, boneless, skinless chicken breast and rice cakes. It just wasn't calorically dense enough. And so I, I had to learn to eat more calories. That's kind of a lot of what I do now with the vertical diet on the, on the weight gaining side is just make it easier for people to eat enough food every day. Do you specify micronutrients? Uh, the macros? Yeah. Yeah, I typically, if you're going to go high carb, you got to go a little lower fat. But uh, I'm usually at a gram, uh, a gram of protein for pound of body weight, typically. Unless somebody's significantly overweight, then I'll go with goal weight uh, or a lean mass. But a gram of protein per pound of body weight is generally where I, where I fall in. Uh, and then... I'm trying to do fats around 0.3 to 0.4 grams per pound. Uh, that usually puts protein at about 30% of total calories. Fats at around 30. I don't like to get below 25. So it starts to see, mm -hmm. uh, especially as they're dieting down, hormonal problems and mm -hmm. uh, drop in testosterone and energy, et cetera. And so that leaves carbs at 40 to 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the macro breakdown. And then in order to keep the fats that low, you got to use pretty lean protein sources in order to get protein that high mm -hmm. and fat that low. You're usually at a two to one uh, protein to fat ratio on just yeah. about all the foods that you consume. And so it, it does call for top sirloin. It'll call for uh, maybe splitting your whole eggs with egg whites in order to get, you know, a little lower fat, but enough protein con in there, content in there. And maybe with a, a fat free dairy like yogurt, mm -hmm. um, that's probably the three main sources of protein, mm -hmm. salmon twice a week in order to get uh, the uh, omega-3s that's necessary. And that's kind of the, the foundation of the proteins is a relatively lean protein so I can keep my fats lower so I can start to drive my carbs up. Carbs will go higher. I mean, the difference between a 4,000 calorie diet and a 5,000 calorie diet is about four cups of rice. That's really it. 
Um, just because, because you're trying to gain weight, yeah. and it can be hard to consume in bread or oatmeal or, or anything that might cause bloating or gas in any significant quantity. Um, so as those guys gain weight, uh, as, as we try and gain weight, then I'm generally that's where the white rice comes in. For dieters, by the time you get that much protein uh, and some, uh, you know, some potassium and things like a potato and uh, carrots and some vegetables, there's probably not a lot of room in there for extra starchy carbs beyond that. So, yeah. Uh, if you're in a weight loss program, the white rice probably never really enters the fray. You know what's so interesting that you mentioned now white rice, and it's something that I haven't spoken to anybody about or like realized in out loud, that rice and beans, obviously, but rice primarily is a main kind of food in Latin American culture. And as people have, my friends at least, have moved to the States or to other countries and started being a little bit more aware of their weight and wanting to lose weight, the first thing they cut out is white rice. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. They, they just have this, such a negative association with white rice that they think that that's the culprit of, or that's the reason why they've been gaining weight, and they immediately cut it out. All of my friends from back home or all my friends from Latin America, that's the first thing they do. Yeah, I would be curious if in Latin America, if they had the same problem with that uh, we do with the ultra-processed, hyper-palatable foods. No. That, uh, because those it's are the, the ones opposite. that tend to, to, are, tend to be over-consumed. No, in Latin America, uh, white rice is kind of easy to consume a lot of it. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't bloat you up. I mean, look at sushi's sugar rice. Yeah. That's kind of the, one of the foundations of why, you know, you look at Jay Cutler, used to just jam down tons of sushi. You could eat a lot of it, and it digests pretty quickly, and you're hungry again pretty soon. And so in terms of weight gain, that's why that's in my diet. But again, maybe it's just portion control and a lack of understanding of energy balance. That's it. It is. It's always a calorie deficit. It's just how do you get there by minimizing hunger, because it's yeah. not necessarily the... The, the foods themselves, it's how does, how does the individual manage hunger mm -hmm. so that they're not eating too much of them. And we find that people tend to overeat highly processed foods. They don't, just don't stimulate the, the satisfying effect. So they're full. They don't feel full. Let's talk about hunger cues and what they actually mean. <clears throat> Which ones? Hunger cues? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, people like to talk about how calories in, calories out doesn't work. But the energy balance equation does, it accounts for hormones, it accounts for things like insulin, it accounts for things like leptin and ghrelin. Uh, and people can be more satiated by eating a higher protein diet. We know that it has both a higher thermic effect of food and in terms of the total net calories that you derive from it when you consume it, and it has a higher satiety, higher on the satiety index. And so you just feel fuller longer when you eat higher protein diets. Uh, and then there's also higher satiety foods that's been measured, uh, such as boiled potatoes and oranges. Uh, I like to put those in diets. If, uh, plus, they're so high in potassium, which is just a huge benefit for performance, for water balance, for heart arrhythmias. For, there's just so many things that potassium can help with, uh, potassium-sodium balance. Uh, then fiber would be another one. Um, and, and just, not everyone agrees to the, the degree to which this can benefit uh, folks. Alan Aragon suggests it's not as, as, as big a deal in terms of satiety as some people suggest. But um, just throwing, you know, I like whole fruits because um, it does have a little bit of fiber in there uh, as opposed to fruit juices. So I'll use whole fruits with dieters. I'll use fruit juices with gain, people are trying to gain weight, um, less satiety uh, with, with the juices. It's maybe a post-dinner salad to try and keep you from getting hungry and binging at night, mm -hmm. which tends to seem where people eat the most uh, extra calories is at mm -hmm. night. So 
I, I think if you can satisfy hunger, there's two main reasons why people fail on diets. And one is they get hungry, and two is they get tired. Mm-hmm. And so if you can, sati- if you can keep them uh, satiated and then provide them sufficient energy, uh, and that's where I think a lot of times diets <clears throat> lack, is that you cut out a lot of the foods that provide you energy, things like iron, iodine, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think even carbohydrates uh, can benefit. We see they have a stimulatory effect on converting uh, uh, thyroid from T4 to T3. And so all those things provide you energy. When you start pulling all those things out, um, then people can get tired. I think even sodium has a, you know, depend for people who aren't hypertensive and don't have a predisposition for high blood pressure, sodium can have a pretty significant effect on your general energy levels throughout the day. Uh, your maintenance of your... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, of your electrolytes. A lot of folks, when they go on a keto diet, they experience what's called a keto flu. And this is not a knock on keto diets. It can, they can be helpful for those people who, uh, who can adhere to them by creating a calorie deficit by eliminating an entire macro group. But what often happens is, is they lose the glycogen that's stored in the muscle. And that glycogen is three parts water. And that water is 70% sodium. And so they end up getting what's basically just what they call the keto flu, just a loss of energy. And so for people who do enjoy or want to try keto, I will always suggest uh, improving your, your fluid intake, particularly electrolytes with the fluid. And so I, if they're not eating at restaurants or fast food or they're not eating packaged food, then they're probably really low sodium, uh, in which case we'd want to reintroduce some sodium into their diet. I definitely wanted to touch up touch up on that, especially as it relates to fighters. Yeah. By the way, I feel like the, specifically the boxing industry is so far behind in the science of nutrition and, and even performance, strength and conditioning as well. Yeah. Um, but it blows my mind. You know that I just recently got sponsored by Element. They make these um, sodium packs, yeah. sodium, potassium. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else they have. Do you read them? Do you know how much sodium's in them? It's a thousand. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a thousand milligrams. And I brought kind of a a little care package to my gym and I showed it to my coach, who's this really smart guy. Yeah. And I was like, I we train without AC, Florida, middle of the summer. I easily lose, I don't know, eight pounds of water every training session. A two hour session in the heat. Have you been to that gym? No. It's insane. Nick, you have, right? It's crazy how hot that is, right? I don't know. It's like over a hundred degrees. Yeah. And I brought it for him, and I was like, listen, you need to give this to your fighters. They need to be putting it in their water. Yeah. And him and the team physician pulled me out of the gym and were like, are you crazy? Yeah. You're just drinking 1,000 milligrams of sodium just like that. You're going to reach <laughs> kidney failure. You're going to mess up. Yeah. You're going to mess yeah. up your heart. You're going to have a heart attack, high blood pressure. As it relates to athletes, and I talk specifically about this when I talk about sodium in, in, my, in my ebook and in, on my rants. Uh, you have to account for things like fluid loss during exercise, heat, humidity, um, you know, the duration and intensity of your training. Obviously, you, you already said you lose eight pounds. You weigh in before and after training. That's what we do with athletes. Mm-hmm. And for every pound, or every two pounds, you want to replace that, I think it's about a liter of water, and that with about, at a minimum, 500 milligrams of sodium. So mm-hmm. you just said you took in two grams of sodium for mm-hmm. eight pounds. That's that's four liters, that would add up to, at a minimum, two grams of sodium. Mm-hmm. That's recommended by the International Society of Sports Nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, as a minimum, anywhere from 500 milligrams to two grams, mm-hmm. depending on how salty of a sweater you are. And that mm-hmm. could be measured as well. 
How do you measure that? There's use a, a, a patch, a sweat test. Um, uh, Dr. Sandra Godick uh, from the Heat Institute uh, is a is a PhD in thermoregulation and hydration, and she uh, she actually does all the testing for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I work with Lane Johnson, so I'm familiar with that process as a result. But they'll put she'll put a patch on the athlete, and after an hour they'll take it and they'll analyze it and see how much sodium that you sweat out uh, with the water that you sweat out. Lane was sweating out five grams of sodium an hour. So they had to you know, design a replacement protocol for him. You can't do it all of it acutely. There has to be some uh, throughout the course of the day because that much, you know, five grams of sodium would obviously cause you to throw up. And so he you know, implemented a program. His blood pressure, actually his weight went from 312 pounds to 333 pounds. What were we talking about? Lane Johnson from the okay, Philadelphia okay. Eagles. Okay. His weight went from 312 to 333 when he started working with me. Uh, and his blood pressure went down. Systolic was 150, went down to uh, in the mid-120s, 126. I think I posted a, a post like that on my Instagram one time to show that he actually improved his blood pressure as a result of improving his hydration levels. Got adequate potassium in, implemented the CPAP, calcium, all those things help. It, it's in his a, diet also? In his diet. It's all multifactorial. Yeah, the potassium was all in the diet. That's not supplemented. Uh, Dr. Godick doesn't believe in supplementing that post-workout in any significant degree because there's some potassium leak from the muscles into the bloodstream during training. This mm. is uh, from, from what her, her institute uh, has told me. And uh, that's not only, you know, it's, it's a standard protocol by the International Society of Sports Nutrition, but you can listen to authorities in the field such as uh, Dr. Andy Galpin. We'll walk you through the same exact protocol as, mm -hmm. as uh, he's, he's got a, a hydration protocol right there on YouTube you can mm -hmm. go through if, if you need the confidence that those are good recommendations. They, they, mm -hmm. It's certainly beneficial for athletes. Yeah. Fighters specifically worry a lot about the acute, acute water retention effects, which is so silly to me. They spend, they weigh themselves every day and any fluctuation they freak out about. Yeah. I have a friend that I'm helping cut weight, Valerie Loretta from Bellator, and she messages me yesterday. She goes, I'm up 1.6 pounds. I'm like, okay. And yeah. that means absolutely nothing. Right. Well, especially with women. Because yeah. they have such a degree of fluctuation, just yeah. depending on the time of the month yeah. as well. Yeah. And, they and even a, a big leg workout and a carb meal will, you know, change the amount of water you hold. Yeah. And, and they refuse to take sodium as well because they're afraid yeah. of how that's going to impact their weight the next day or in two days or whatever because of the water yeah. retention. It's some crazy. people Some people will retain a little bit of water for a, a few days, three to five days, just because it's an adaptation process because mm -hmm. their body's been without it and so it'll hold on to it thinking that, you know, it's been robbed of this. Uh, but then it'll level out once it realizes it's going to get it regularly mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll level out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to... Have you worked with a lot of MMA athletes or boxers or combat sports? Yeah, not a lot, at, not at the level of, of John Jones, but boxers in particular, since as far back as the mid-90s, I worked with Joe Hip, who was uh, scheduled to fight uh, uh, Mike Tyson way back then, and uh, it was an exciting run, and ever since then, I've kind of been interested in, in fighters uh, in particular. What's been your experience with them? Uh, <clears throat> If they need to make weight classes, like you just mentioned, particularly females, it, it can be really, really challenging to get them uh, to buy into eating the kinds of foods that I think are foundationally necessary for micronutrients because they do avoid steak and they do avoid whole eggs and they do avoid dairy and mm -hmm. they do avoid salt, like you said. 
And then you start to see them get weaker and more tired and they recover slower and they suffer some of the same problems as dieters with the, the brittle hair and the skin not healing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that's one of the challenges is that they're over-restrictive. Same as, you know, high school wrestlers and, and the like. You know, all that dieting is, uh, it's not good for recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So also it, it was always hard to get fighters to buy in to the strength training was the hard part. I thought it would make them inflexible. And so, yeah, and, and especially back in the 90s when everybody thought that you had to come out and stretch. I don't know if you remember football players used to come out on the field before the games and they would, mm -hmm. they would get on both sides of the field and they would all come out and do these aggressive stretches before the game. And now you notice you don't see any of that because there's really not much science to suggest that it's a benefit for preventing injuries, for uh, it can actually impair performance, acute uh, power. Uh, it's not doesn't seem to be beneficial for recovery from training. Uh, so if I can convince them uh, with the literature, and I just refer to people who know more about this than I do, uh, that are academically credentialed, if I can get them to, to buy in, then we'll just do the strength training through a greater range of motion to give them the mobility. Mm -hmm. I hate to talk about mm -hmm. things in terms of flexibility because that always implies mm -hmm. static holds. And I, I actually try and avoid static holds. It's funny how performance always finds the next frontier. Because 90s was a disaster. Because as you'd imagine, stretching a hamstring and then playing, you know, four quarters. But this season is still a disaster, yeah. right? It's like it's almost like athletes are just willing to push scientists to be like, all right, we're at this threshold now. Figure out what the threshold is and why we're all getting hurt. ACLs this season have been a complete fucking nightmare for the NFL. So it's gone from like maybe stretching wasn't a good idea to like, hey, overall load management's an issue. Yeah, there's been less loading as a result, and that's why they've been getting hurt. Yeah, well, less on-ramp too, right? Like off-seasons are so short, strength coaches have yeah. such little time. What do you think, because you must have seen so many frontiers in dieting, fads in dieting, trends in dieting. Like, where do you think this, this cyclical nature of like trend dieting goes next? Because like you've come up with something, and it's always funny when people talk about vertical diet, because some people are... I would say you were probably eating like that before you even knew to eat like that, or you knew it intuitively before you systematized it. I burned through so many different diets over right. the years, and I felt the way I felt. I, I noticed what improved my performance because I was measuring it right. so closely all the time. So I knew what, uh, what allowed me to build more muscle, allowed me to be stronger, allowed me to retain more muscle tissue while dieting, all those things. It seems that critical. it's leveled off. Or maybe it's that I'm not paying attention. I don't think you're paying attention. Quick shout out to our sponsor, LMNT. Uh, it's a great tasting electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, with, no, with none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. If you want to check these guys out, this is something that Stephanie and I use all the time. Uh, check them out at drinklmnt.com slash hybrid. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high-quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. 
By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. It'll always be there. I mean, I remember being a kid not knowing anything about diet, but I knew about the Atkins and South Beach diet. Yeah, I was going to say, I lived through that. <laughs> I've been around, you know, I'm 54 now. I've lived through all of this stuff. 35 years I've been in kind of this fitness industry. And so I've seen all the fads come and go. And, and you know, when it became a problem, because this was even back in the late 80s when I was training women for competition, they were doing the starvation diets. Uh, and they would end up with all the problems. I mean, the, especially post-show, the massive edema the depression, the hair loss, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And it was kind of confined to that industry for a long, long time. How low was their calorie intake on average? 1,200 calories. They would go down as low as that, plus two hours of cardio a day. The 4 a.m. cardio, waking up early after you know, yeah. five hours of sleep. Yeah, fast it was, trick. I mean, yeah, you just keep adding it all. They just pile it all on. And I, when social media exploded and that diet industry, the professional dieters, the bodybuilding figure, physique, bikini, and now wellness, also exploded, the IFBB, the NPC, um, and social media exploded. you got more and more people competing, but now you've got the soccer moms who see all these women in the best shape of their life, I say with air quotes, um, not realizing behind the scenes what all the problems are, and then they, they get their guru diet. It's egg whites. It's uh, tilapia, it's broccoli, pounds of broccoli. And they don't realize, and you know, protein powders. And they don't realize all the challenges that these women are having with um, you know, a suppressed thyroid, um, uh, low iron, anemia, cessation of menstrual period, amenorrhea, uh, low calcium, um, all those things. And then the soccer moms started having all these issues. And then they end up at the hormone clinic getting thyroid, getting... IVs for, you know, iron and B12 and, and whatever else they're deficient in or presumed to be or told they are to get the, the monies to do, you know, weekly IVs. Um, the loss of hair, the, the skin, you know, the biotin for the skin, hair, and nails. It started happening at such a, on a, on a large scale. It, and that's kind of when I started uh, using the platform that I had to, to speak out against uh, what I felt was an over-restrictive uh, diet and, and culture that was, you know, manifesting in so many problems for, for just, you know, your, your gen pop as opposed to these professional dieters who would probably do it anyhow because that was their sport. You know, and I, I, did, a, I did a rant once called, um, <clears throat> I spoke about the difference between health and fitness. Uh, fitness being the ability to perform a particular duty or task. You spoke about this today in the seminar. <clears throat> uh, you know, the ability to become, uh, you know, the fitness level required to become a, a UFC fighter or a world's strongest man or even a 14-year-old gymnast in the Olympics or even a 10-year-old badminton player in China is not healthy. You know, blowing out tendons and ligaments and uh, surgeries and obviously a lot of the metabolic damage that these big athletes get and the, uh, the brain injury and trauma that, you know, these fighters get, et cetera, et cetera. Fitness is very different from health. And the fitness industry isn't necessarily centered around health. We'll make the sacrifices necessary. I, I'm, you know, <clears throat> speaking from experience here. I'll do anything necessary to win. Uh, and so what I've, I've tried to do with the athletes that I've worked with who will make any sacrifice necessary 
uh, is try and mitigate damage in a way that won't interfere with those goals. Mm -hmm. And might even, um, you know, give them potentially a better chance and more longevity in the sport. And that's why a lot of the things I talk about in the vertical diet isn't just diet, it's general health, uh, sleep, digestion, uh, obviously, you know, hormone optimization, uh, all the things that go into, uh, you know, making sure that they have long-term health. With a diet that includes red meat, carbohydrates, and salt, which one of those do you see the most pushback on from the... I see pushback on all of them. Uh, Examine.com, you know, Kamal Patel, who's a vegetarian himself, and he has a host of great researchers over there, PhDs at Examine.com, who are highly regarded in the industry. They just put out another summary, as there have been many, another meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials showing that there's no inf indication that red meat raises LDLs, uh, raises inflammation, causes diabetes, none of that. Uh, if you want to take a deep dive into that, you can just go to Examine.com, and he's got all the... Uh, the research there, and again, meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials, not epidemiology with people like to toss around. Uh, these are, this is pretty finite. So I think that information is really solid. Uh, as far as the sodium goes, again, we're talking about athletes. And the International Society of Sports Nutrition recommends this. Guys like Andy Galpin and others, um, you know, Dr. Godick from the Heat Institute. Uh, these folks, um, uh, you know, are PhDs who specialize in this, in this industry. And under these circumstances, uh, I would never suggest that somebody who was overweight and sedentary, who had hypertension, um, salt their meals. You know, that's not yeah. what I've ever said. I've been pretty clear about that. Um, what about an athlete with, with hypertension? For whatever reason, maybe it's genetic. Maybe they're on, on blood it's, thinners. It's multifactorial. For some people, believe it or not, uh, when you get low sodium, it actually increases your blood pressure. There are people who are reverse wow. salt sensitive. Uh, but for athletes, what we find is, is uh, that it's multifactorial. Generally, it can be a potassium deficiency or a calcium deficiency. Mm -hmm. And that might even test out fine in the bloodstream, but you know, your bloodstream is going to maintain homeostasis at the sacrifice of, uh, of from the rest of the body, so it's not always a good indicator. Right. Uh, but it's, it is multifactorial. Like I mentioned with Lane or, or with Hofthor, those guys, they, once they got a CPAP and improved their uh, micronutrient um, intake uh, probably lost a, a lot of times this can be as a result of NAFLD for the heavy athletes the, the fatty liver uh, can precipitate high blood pressure um, any impact on the kidneys is obviously going to precipitate high blood pressure that's a significant driver as well so if you try and remedy those problems then you're going to see the blood pressure come down it's always like an interesting paradigm that people have a hard time wrapping their head around with nutrition that uh, exogenous and endogenous presence of things. Like, if you eat fat, you won't get fat. If you eat cholesterol, it won't actually, like, exogenous cholesterol might not raise your actual cholesterol. For, for most always, people, It's yeah. always a tough thing for people to wrap their head around that, like, yeah. this thing is fat, I put it in, I am now fat. It's like, that's not how this works. It's like, I, I know, I understand the are, you are what you eat paradigm. Yeah. It's, it's always an interesting thing because people think that the exogenous drives the endogenous. It's like, this is such a controlled environment. Yeah, unfortunately, the loudest voices, the most popular voices, and I won't say their names on social media, oh, who, yeah, <laughs> who talk about things like these insulin monster and that insulin you know, drives fat storage uh, in the absence of calorie balances uh, is, is completely false. What's their motive, you think? Uh, I don't, 
selling books, selling supplements. You know, some of these people will sell detox teas, and you kind of—it's a big red flag when you start seeing that, or you know, uh, or they say taking exogenous ketones for a while. Look, I tell you, I've been around a long time. Uh, I've been saying the same thing for 10 years publicly about my macro recommendations and. Uh, particularly in terms of sports performance for carbohydrates. Now, if an individual doesn't have a, a sports-focused, uh, sports focus, especially um, you know, anaerobic uh, sports focus, then you know, they can choose whatever diet and should choose whatever diet they'll adhere to that makes them feel good that they can stay on consistently because compliance is the science. A lot of people will go on diets for a short period of time and come off of them because it wasn't something that was consistent with their lifestyle, they didn't enjoy it. Which is another reason why I like the recommendations that I make because a lot of people enjoy eating red meat. They enjoy eating fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they enjoy some of them eating dairy. Uh, and I want them to have the kind of diet and lifestyle that's enjoyable uh, and just find a way that they can manage hunger and, uh, you know, satiety and, and energy. Uh, but, you know, you, you said, you know, what's the, what's the trend headed towards? You know, you've gone through all of these different diets over the years and, uh, I think I agree with what you just said, is that it's kind of all been out there. Mm -hmm. And everybody's got their own little fiefdom that they're fighting over, which is the best. Uh, and there is no best diet. There, there are some methods that we can all use to help people adhere. Uh, satiety, protein leveraging is mentioned, uh, high satiety foods, more fiber. Those are all good adherence methods. Uh, I think we've already played with all of the variables. You know what I mean? We've already demonized every single macronutrient that mm -hmm. there is. We've already tried restricting time windows. We've already tried, I don't know, I feel like it's all been, it's all been kind of done. Yeah, we had the car backloading, remember, and oh, all that so stuff. Good. <laughs> anabolic windows? You know, I'll be jumping <laughs> yeah. out of anabolic windows. <laughs> driving right into gains. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody kind of, well, they want something magic, and I, you know, we started this conversation off kind of making fun of me like, like everybody does <laughs> because I'm so disciplined. I'm so consistent. Well, You're also so jacked. <laughs> Loki, the scariest jack guy I've ever seen. I just, I, I, there's a foundation of things that do work and they're not glamorous and they're not gimmicks and they're not hacks. Uh, you just have to do them consistently. I think yeah. Pat was talking about today about maintaining a kind of schedule. He was talking about the cow in the, in the farm, uh, you know, trying to, to get the best meat out of it. it. It likes to have some consistency and less stress on the body. And if you can give it consistency, consistently eat, sleep, and for us, train. And the, the more times, what did he say? He said, uh, I just keep doing the boring shit over and over again. And that's, you know, it's hard now in the social media world to etch out a corner in this, this business environment that's not glamorous and it's not magic and it's not exciting. And you see people doing all kinds of crazy little exercises on BOSU balls and, and, and stuff. And it's like, and you keep doing the same boring shit over and over again. Stan, I, have, you read, have you read the book Chop Wood, Carry Water? No, I haven't. It's now it's become my second most gifted like book that I gift the most. The first one is Obstacles yeah, Away, yeah. but the second one is Chop Wood Carry Water, and that's the essence. I I realized through powerlifting that for so many years and Olympic lifting and then powerlifting, the diet, the training, that I became a master of the mundane. Yeah. There's no other way to get stronger. There's no other way to get shredded for long periods of time other than doing the same boring shit over and over again for so long. And nobody wants to hear that. No. 
And, and I have people, they'll comment on my videos. This is just the same stuff you've been talking yeah, about. And it is. It is. It is the same stuff. And, I, and I'm, I searched around for many years. I've trained with about every guru in the business. You guys know who I've been associated with over the years. I would jump on a plane in a heartbeat and go sit and listen to them with my notepad out, eagerly asking questions and, and trying, doing anything they would tell me to do. I've turned over every rock. I've spent untold amounts of time and money. Uh, spent months at a time training with guys like Mark Bell and Flex Wheeler and Charles Glass. I've worked with Dave Palumbo. I've worked, uh, you name it, uh, just about every guru in the business, I've, I've tried to garner as much information as I could. Year before last, I went to Barbell Medicine Seminar. I'm down here today listening to you guys. I'm going to pull every ounce of, of information that I can because even at my declining side of the hill, I, I'm, I'm trying to slow that roll as best as I can. And I, you know, I want to maintain... Uh, you know, as long as I can, uh, the highest level of performance and health that I can. I'm interested in your take on the other side of dieting. Like one thing, and we were talking about 12 countries, right? Every state in America. Yeah. And to me, like the nutrition where in the places I've ended up is not even a concept because food is such a part of the culture yeah. where the one thing I've found in being able to contrast like Western culture, Canada, North America, and like what I would call like actual culture is that cultures are almost entirely the ones I've been exposed to are centered around food. And I, when I see paleo and keto now, I see them not as anything other than fractionated culture where our culture as a whole in North America is not, it's, you know, it's not family focused. It's not, it's not a nuclear thing. Is it's Western not, culture centered around food? No, I mean, centered around food in the way that you can be centered around food to wait around the block in a Chick-fil-A drive-through line. <laughs> like that's as centered around food as we get. But as far as like an actual cultural, like come to the table and break bread, it's not a part of our culture. But I think we, like, not to say a pun, but I do love a pun. Like we, there's a hunger for a, like a, the identity that comes with food that's so easily accessible everywhere else yeah. in the world. And I think, what's your take on that part of dieting and like you know i see people now you know paleo keto like paleo fx in austin like what the hell are you guys doing there's a conference based around abstaining from a macronutrient like, I, what the fuck is going I on i feel like would you consider italians uh like food culture food culture yeah, How, what did you say that it was yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a, most culture is driven by a, food but i think that's a consequence of their their emphasis on family Sure, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is like it's the excuse. The food is the excuse to being together as a, a family. Vehicle. It's a vehicle, right? Yeah. And I just don't think we have a, like we. It's you know it's the parallel of being uh, overfed and undernourished, but almost from like a cultural standpoint. And I see things like paleo and keto and carnivore, like the nourishment, uh, maybe not from like a nutritional standpoint, but really feeding into that wantingness of culture and community above all else. So it's like, it's hard for me because I would be the first guy and like, I, whatever, I eat kind of clean-ish, whatever that means. I eat for performance when I'm performing. So When I are just, you performing? Yeah, I'm just trying to get out of bed these days, all right? <laughs> I've it's, never seen this guy eat a single clean food in his entire life. That's a lot. Well, that's because I'm always, whenever we're here, it's always <laughs> like cake at 2 a.m. in the morning. But it, to me, what is your thought process on the emergence of identity and the need for that satiation? Well, you hit the nail right on the head. It has become an identity. Some of these diets become an identity uh, for people, almost a religion. Yeah, I spoke wow. about this many years ago, and people get really defensive about their diet. 
I, you know, and I, I'm wearing the vertical diet shirt, and I have a book, and it's the vertical I'd diet. And I, yeah. <laughs> you got 20-inch arms. You're my God. You're but, a cult uh, leader by now. But I try not to be a zealot about that. Yeah. I, I try and say, well, here's kind of a, a foundation that uh, I have clients that are keto. I have clients that are intermittent fasters. I have clients that are vegan and vegetarian. I have a chapter in the book on it uh, who compete. Uh, so I'm, I'm more than happy. I just I try and introduce them to what I believe is a foundation. Right. Um, you know, calories, macros, micros. I, I try and walk them through that and see how uh, whatever diet they choose, uh, again, it's something that they can be consistent with, uh, and that it satisfies the necessary health requirements, like you said, overfed, undernourished. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what the foundation that is. And then, again, to throw in things like sleep and blood testing, you know, uh, I go to, I just I introduced uh, online lab tests to folks and, and I've just had over the years hundreds and hundreds of people who've gone in and got blood tests and found a whole host of things that they weren't aware of. And I, you know, I saw that a lot in the, as a personal trainer uh, in the fitness industry, particularly with athletes, is that you come across uh, certain things in their blood that uh, they weren't paying attention to, that they needed to. So uh, I guess I, I think that like you said, we've been through all these diets. And I've even spoke with people. I, like, I watched Peter Atia piss on keto sticks for I three years. I can't. On Dude, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm watching the Blair Witch Project. You <laughs> fucking eat, man. You're 140 pounds. Yeah. Love the drive. Think he's brilliant. Yeah. He was at Stanford. I'm pretty sure he's Canadian. But whenever, like, Peter, have you ever seen the movie 127 Hours? No. Where, um, like, uh, who's, like, oh, what's his name? The actor who plays it. It's a story of the guy who traps his arm in a bowl. Yeah, and yeah, then he yeah, 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 his yeah, arm. yeah, yeah. It's, it's hour 78. Like, Peter, <laughs> eat food, dog. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and again, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to uh, I was. say anything poor about Peter. <laughs> that's, that's what I, I love Peter. For. I watched all his videos. I read his stuff. He is a genius. He's a brilliant oh, guy. Oh, no, without a doubt. But again, I lived, that's what I say about wisdom. I've been around this business for so long. I watched Peter go through a, a three-year venture of pissing on keto sticks every day to finally emerge on the other end to say, well, I wanted to lift weights and be stronger, and so I started eating carbs again. I, I sat down with Mike Mutzel in an interview a few years ago, and Mike was strict keto at the time. And then since then, as time evolves, as people age in this uh, you know, fitness industry and try new things, such as lifting weights, uh, <laughs> with any degree of success, uh, and, and to enjoy that process, Mike started introducing carbohydrates around the training window and could still stay keto, but fuel the training with carbohydrates. We saw the same thing with Mark Bell in his, in his book, The War on Carbs. Sorry, why are carbohydrates so important for performance for our uh, listeners? Yes, yes. I, carbohydrates. Listen, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to crack, like to at least open the doors in the boxing world. I hope that somebody who is into boxing is listening to this. Because and watching. Look how big he is. And, yes, well, and please. not just for the performance of that single event, uh, but for recovery from that event. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, uh, I'll get back to that in a second, but I, I think that it was um, on Mass Research Review was a couple of years ago was the first time, and certainly Brad Schoenfeld's new right. book, Hypertrophy book, talks about the fact that, uh, this, that we always looked at carbohydrates as being like fuel in a tank. And we said, well, you could drive 100 miles per hour on a quarter tank as easily as three quarters of a tank. Well, the body isn't like a gas tank. The body's more like pressure in, say, a balloon. And the fuller that balloon, when you let go of it, it shoots off. A little balloon that's hardly filled is, you know, dies yeah. out. The carbohydrates are stored differentially uh, in the muscle tissue. Um, 
And the first carbohydrates that are burned uh, are that, I believe uh, what the reference is in, in uh, Schoenfeld's book is from the uh, uh, endoplasmic reticulum that directly uh, helps release calcium, uh, which then fires the muscle contraction. Sarcoplasmic reticulum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did I, sarcoplasmic reticulum. I Did I say yeah. endoplasmic? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the myosin. Yeah. Uh, troponin, troponin C, depolarization. Yes, there. I'm with you. I'm glad you're on it. So, and not just contraction, but relaxation. Right. Uh, calcium is important for that. Not just consuming calcium, but having out of carbohydrates to, to release that. Yeah. Uh, that's if you want to get into the, you know, the mechanisms of action for it. But it, uh, we find that it can be very important for not only peak performance. And people take creatine regularly to improve, to maybe get one repetition or two and a half more pounds in a workout. The same could be said of having adequate carbohydrates to have a workout that allows you to do one more rep or uh, five more pounds or one more set, uh, which cumulatively over time is, you know, with the progression, is what's going to give you your results. And so maybe it's not miraculous, but I also find that with adequate hydration, uh, you're, you're, um, you're, you're less likely to hit the wall as fast. You can get, you know, I'm, I'm walking around 40 minutes into a workout, a crushing workout, I've still got energy. Mm -hmm. Start to pull the carbs back, maybe not having adequate sodium, and that becomes a much shorter workout that's harder to recover from. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's not just about anabolism, it's about in, uh, preventing catabolism as well. Yep. So yeah, I don't mean to get off of sideways with carbs, but I'm not the only guy that thinks that. Again, Schoenfeld's no, I mean, work, Andy that, Galpin's work. I'm saying you know, that because look, I'm, I'm I'm trying to help some of my some of my friends who are into combat sports, and mm -hmm. what I the first thing that I see is two weeks out of a fight, they take the carbs out. Cut carbs. Cut I, the hey, carbs. I, <laughs> They're yeah. eating like only protein and and some fats two weeks out of a fight or a week out of a fight, and they think that that's Here's what's shocking to me is that it works in spite of being so stupid. Yeah. And that's the difficult part because they've been doing that since they were 12 years old or yeah. 30. And that's how they cut weight. And then here I come with my science bullshit and they just don't. It's really hard for them to, to change their mind. Look, some people can be successful in spite of themselves. We're aware of that. You know, just look at, at a great athlete and suggest that everything that they did actually contributed to that outcome. You have to put some science to it and, and compare it across the broad populations. Well, maybe that individual was just more talented, and they would have won anyhow. Uh, but if you want that athlete to be even better, if you want it not to go to decision, but you want to finish, mm -hmm. then these would be, you know, these suggestions that we've made today uh, would be things that you would include in your training, mm -hmm. and particularly pre-contest. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. I was kind of going down this, this rant about Dr. Peter Tia and Mike Mutzel, people I, I follow and enjoy. Um, uh, Paul Saladino, Carnivore MD, I went on his podcast about three years ago, and I told him the same thing. I, I said, if you, if you want to lift and you want it to be better, the performance and your muscle mass. And all, so now Paul introduced potatoes for potassium and honey for, uh, for training around the circle, uh, around the training stimulus there. Uh, I could go on and on. I talked about Mark Bell and the war on carbs. Mark ate carbs when he competed in bodybuilding and when he tried to get that 500 bench, uh, he came back to get the 500 bench, he ate carbs. Um, and now he eats them intermittently, uh, kind of depending on how he feels or whether or not he's, you know, has a, a big workout. So you can, you can certainly time carbs around training, but if you feel like they make you tired, Menno Henselman suggests that it's simply the, the total caloric intake, not the macro carb 
right. or fat the itself. Old thing of like, <laughs> yeah, you need a stack of pancakes. If you're like going to sleep, then you're carb sensitive or you're carbon sensitive or something like that. But the science would suggest it has more to do with the total caloric intake right. than it does with the macro uh, balance that you're that you're consuming. So, uh, and your insulin sensitivity. Now that could be a different component to it. If you are eating carbs and you're type two diabetic. You may want to reduce those, at least in the short term, to uh, have sufficient energy and to not, uh, you know, have too much insulin release, such that you end up with a hypoglycemic uh, episode. But it's the weight loss itself that's predictive of reversal of type two diabetes, mm -hmm. not the macro content, because both diets can have the same result with the same weight loss over time. It's just in terms of facilitating that process, at least initially, with the initial weight drop and the insulin sensitivity as it relates to hunger and energy, not necessarily macro balance. I think you just bring the ultimate trump card to nutrition talks because you're so performance-based, right? Like, I'd Peter Atia, it's like, oh man, and I think he's great, but it's like, I don't know if I want to look like a 148 pound dude. <laughs> I don't know if that's for me because there's no resistance. There's no performance outcome. It's just yeah. like chasing, we talked about this today, like chasing like red herrings of objective outcomes. Like you're chasing a number on a piss stick for ketones. Yeah. <laughs> well, right? understanding though, like, initially his goal was endurance. <laughs> right. His goal was endurance. Then show ultra me wild endurance. Times. And, you know, he's spoken himself about the fact that ultra endurance, you know, we always used to th think that the marathon runners were going to be the healthy people that live forever. And then we find out, oh, well, they get these enlarged, thin heart walls and they burn out in their 50s, like, uh, you know, with, with heart attacks uh, as a result of overuse. Uh, and so he's kind of migrated into, and he's been talking about for many years about longevity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm cautious with that term because it conjures up all sorts of, of different uh, charlatans. And, but I just think consistency of being able to perform at a high level. And that's what he's focused on now. Right. Can't, am I strong enough as I turn 50, 60, 70, and 80? And we know, and we, we spoke today in the, the seminar as well about uh, the fact that one of the best predictors of, of long life, well, VO2 max, but that's based on yeah. having sufficient uh, contractile tissue to require uh, adequate oxygen, and that, it all works together, right. uh, and then moving that muscle. So just simply lifting weights. We know that grip strength is, is directly predic predictive uh, of all-cause mortality, or at least lifespan. Um, so, you know, we're... Wasn't a sit-to-stand test also? That's what I talked about. <clears throat> but the oh, difference okay. between yeah. a sit-stand test for me versus an old person is yeah, like yeah. velocity versus... I hate diving thing. too far into that field because much like what we just discussed, everybody's looking for hacks. They're looking for rapamycin or, or uh, you know, mTOR inhibitors and, and metformin, and they all want a, a medication. And, you know, just simply taking three 10-minute walks a day after meals is twice as effective as metformin for preventing and reversing type wow. 2 diabetes. That's twice wild. as effective. So we're back to the same boring stuff. Then you saw me take out this morning and take my 10-minute walk. Yeah, you know, I, I'm still doing this. Yeah. Even though I'm in the gym squatting 600 pounds, I don't forget the fact that these are all things that are necessary. Uh, the sleep, uh, you know, the 10-minute walks, the diet. And we were teasing him about coming here and not being on his diet plan. He's been traveling. He's, every weekend, 
I went through this. I was in, like I said, 12 countries in all I 50 love states. The cheesecake Factory video. Love it's Cheesecake like, Factory, yeah. <laughs> just like, it's the same boring shit. <laughs> Little burger, rice, yeah, and pickles. Right, right. $7.95. <laughs> I don't have yeah, receipts, man. I'm a big yes. fan. <laughs> I carry the receipt and show it to them so they ring it right in the register. I don't want a burger minus, minus, minus because that's $13.95. I got this whole thing down. But I come, you know, I, I flew out here from Albuquerque where I'm training John, but I live in Vegas. Uh, but I had a, uh, I always carry around a, uh, or try and take with me when I go on, like this is kind of a four day thing from Friday through Monday that I'll be here, so I needed enough meals. And so I got a rolling Coleman cooler, as I've said many times, and I threw uh, five meals a day for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I got 20 meals, I put them in my rolling Coleman cooler, uh, heated a couple up, put them in thermos, flew out here, you know, it was a six hour flight thereabouts, but I'm, I'm just sitting there eating the foods I want to eat, when I want to eat them, that I know feel good on me, uh, and you know I'm sitting here watching you at the seminar today presenting, and I'm 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 sitting there eating on a clock my uh, top sirloin steak and potato and veggies, uh, and not having to frequent a restaurant that's going to cook something in vegetable oil and, and cause me to. You know, if there was a Nobel Prize for consistency. <laughs> I've never seen. I've never seen anything like it. I'm trying to tell him too. All you need is a couple thermos and some frozen meals. And a, See that brown bag out there that got delivered that Gogo brought in. Yeah, that's yeah. mine. Is that yours? That's mine. Yeah. What did you order? Uh, Pokey from Ono. Did you order me one? Salmon and rice. Of course you didn't. No, of course not. I didn't even know you were gonna show up on time. When was the last time that happened? Honestly, that's messed up, and you know it. Okay, I got you. I'm on it. I'll no, no, I don't want Pokey. I'm gonna order a burrito. See, this is the kind of thing. Then I told him he could have meals delivered to be waiting for him at the gym when he shows up, and he he, he looked at me for a minute. I saw I got a little eyebrow raise. No bigger. <laughs> the thermos fight. and the packing food stuff. That he wasn't. He was uh, like, I just, yeah, yeah. And I then I just have him drop a have him drop a box when you show up. You know, Are you I, equally as organized and consistent with everything else in your life? I kind of need to. I just you can't get as much done in a day if if you're, you know, squandering around. So, so what, what time do you your... wake up in the morning? <gasps> you six o'clock. <laughs> Did you know? Usually. I was like, God, right? yeah. six. Six o'clock. You're better. Yeah, do you? Like, uh? You got work to do. You're better. I wake up at six too because I train at seven a.m. You're better. I'm pretty stuck and to those I'm circadian rhythms. Yeah, I don't believe that. That's the only thing I'm on time for. Yeah, I know. Thanks. My seven a.m. training. And I have to be in bed by ten religiously because otherwise I'm just beat. You know, I, I've said this, you become a victim of your own circumstance. Right. The sleep and the meals and the training that's required to, to be at this, whatever this level is that I like to the maintain. Highest. I think it's the highest <laughs> level, Stan. <laughs> whatever the level is, you, you, now you're kind of a prisoner to that. Yeah. If I don't give this creation uh, enough sleep and enough training and enough of uh, the right kind of food, then it declines in performance. Now, I could be satisfied with that. I don't have to be 240 plus pounds and whatever. I could be 220 and I wouldn't have to eat as much or sleep as much or train as much. Uh, but that's just a decision that I make. And anybody who wants to achieve a certain level of performance understands that, that you become a slave to that. Like I can never shave my beard. This is the brand. Well, you I can't, be a jack I can't hell, grow it's on one, brand. so I, you got me on that. I couldn't imagine one Jordan, day. tell the truth. You can't shave your beard because you have no chance. I, I don't have a chance. <laughs> I'm sure it fucked off years ago. We can never find out. Let's we'll find some old pictures. But, like, I want to know what's the, the... This is a question I let off with, and literally the only question I had is, yeah. like, all right, you had a rough week. 
Right. All right. It's, you know what, the whole, everyone's just, up, and you're like, all right, fuck, Ben and Jerry's is coming. What, or it's pizza. It's yeah, wings. does that ever happen? Yeah. You're not like, oh, no, I know what I want, the fifth Stan, meal come on, of be sirloin honest. and It's potatoes. funny because Mark right. Mellon and Seema hit me with the same question uh, a few months back on Great the show. And, and I was like, eh, you know, again, I, I said, I don't eat foods I like. I eat foods that like me because I, yeah. I make that decision an hour after I eat. I... Oftentimes, if I'm out spinning around and, and the kids and with the kids, I have a seven and a nine year old, and sometimes we get busy and I pick them up from school and then we go to, uh, you know, maybe a practice or the park or something, and they're really hungry and they want to go buy McDonald's or Carl's Jr. Uh, again, I'm always quick to try and order something that's a two to one protein to fat ratio if I can. <laughs> for I them. Not the goods. Not for me. I'll sit there in the drive through at Carl's Jr. and be looking at that uh, double Angus burger. And, and just thinking about it, but I'm, but I'm at the same time, I'm thinking about how I'm going to feel an hour after I eat that thing. And I but already know the answer. But sometimes you don't go, fuck it, no, whatever, I, I I'll deal with the diarrhea. I want to, I just want to be dead. There are a couple things I've said before. Uh, Gold's in Venice, when I used to go down there and train, yep. I would go to the Firehouse restaurant. So good, Rose Avenue, talk and I would, about it. And I, I would get the pancakes with the uh, bananas and blueberry compote cooked into the pan, not on top. Not on top. I'm oh, leaving if, that, if you do that to me. It's cooked into the pancake. And I already know I'm going to pay the price. And I just, I just deal with it. Yeah, dare yeah, you ask you. Yes, you just pay, pay the, the cost. If we're all sitting mission. around talking, if I'm there with a few of the boys, we're all sitting around talking, then it happens at the restaurant. Yeah. But if we leave, I can just barely finish my 10-minute walk. And, uh, and then I got to be fine in the bathroom. So that's okay, okay. So outside but occasionally of I might get a pizza. There was a new place that just went up in Vegas. It's called Twister Sourdough and they use a sourdough pizza. Uh, it was, it was, and I tried that. That was delicious. But I paid the price for that. But I don't, I don't crave it. I don't think about it, mainly because I know how it's going to feel. But when I was bulking, there were a few things that I could eat. Uh, sushi was one. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I said that with the sugar rice. There's a few things that I could eat. One was, um, uh, which ice cream is it? It's not Ben and Jerry's. It's... Uh, Talenti. What's the other... So um, I haven't Hagen Dazs. I haven't had one in years, but we used to. Um, I used to do Hagen Dazs because it's just cream, sugar, and strawberries. Yeah. And I would have one of those uh, when I was training with Mark Bell. I would go to BJ's and I would get a steak and a potato, uh, and nothing on the potato. But twice a week, I would get a small pan pizza for dessert because I was obviously I was bulking at the time. Right. Uh, but those are, you know, it's kind of... So you don't adhere to the... I'm really living on the edge here, aren't I? Did I but say like, anything? I would just imagine, like, like, wow, he's crazy. orders must have been epic, though. <clears throat> like, I can imagine you and Cutler just sitting down, a, like, just shutting down a Vegas sushi. Yeah. Or, like, fuck, <laughs> just close the door behind these guys. Like, you must have been able to just... Yeah, I usually... an ungodly amount of food. To be honest, I'll, I'll usually get a teriyaki chicken with no sauce and rice... Okay, okay, stand, stand, stand. Stop one second. Stop one second. <laughs> I know, what do you what do you do for fun? Let's it's not food, I'm winning, clearly. I'm winning. He just wins. Well now I've got kids, so I, everything I do with them is fun. I always take them to, to fun places to do stuff every this time. This guy's I get just home. the best guy, huh? He's the best but, guy. He's a president. It's the rock, but no, the rock and then stand It's not true. My my wife hates the fact that everything we may get her twenty years, everything's always been centered around whether it's powerlifting or bodybuilding. If Anywhere we went, career, it was either a seminar or a competition. You know, anytime we traveled, it was because of one of those things. Generally speaking, it was a seminar and, uh, or a competition. Uh, but I just posted the other day, I said, this is what I do for fun. It's like if I couldn't lift, 
that's what I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. No, you I know, get that. I, I just trained with John yesterday. We did three sets of 20s to finish our squats to, to, to finish yesterday. I was euphoric. We were like dancing on the video. You have to check my Instagram out. It's really terrible. You know, 54 year old white guy dancing. <laughs> it was bad. But I think Pump Up the Jam was the song I had, you know, takes you, you back. <laughs> but, but to yeah. me, that's like the highlight of my day. And I'm literally driving home, legs, you know, cramping up. And it's euphoric. It's a feeling that I think that some people who are addicted to drugs may get that mm -hmm. causes them to be addicted to drugs. That's my yeah. drug. I love to go in, and particularly leg day. I just love to crush myself. Flex used to, when I used to train with him back in 2009, 2010, we would get done with the workout, and I would literally be laying on the ground laughing. And Flex would just look at me and shake in his head. He's like, you love this, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> You're addicted to consistency. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's just consistency, not cocaine. Consistency. You know how it feels, though. Yeah. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. That's yeah, but I don't, I don't think I enjoy it that much. So, <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're doing something different now. That's a lot of, it's a lot of work. I guess. I trained with Flex when yeah. I was in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, he Great introduced guy. me to the sets of 20. He loves the 20s. I yeah, he does love his 20s. Yeah. Yeah, and now, now that's all I do. Sets of 20? Yeah. No, I can't. I Four it. sets of 20. Joints feel great. Yeah. You know, do yeah. all that. I just need to accumulate a lot of volume on the couple times a week that I lift yeah. weights yeah. to try to not vanish into the thin air. That's one of the biggest mistakes I made. Specifically I my it. ass. You've been so focused on that since you started boxing. It's yeah. so concerning. Yeah. Have you seen boxers' bodies? Like female boxers' bodies? It's not pretty. Yeah, but you've also been, have highlighted a lot of antiquated thought processes around boxing. So you're comparing your potential outcome to look like them, yeah. but you're also saying, contrasting how different you are in your approach. So why would you think you'd end up in the same place? Yeah. Different no, thing? as long as I continue doing what I'm doing, I'm, I'll be fine. Yeah. This is one of the things when I got into John Jones's camp and I, I first met with uh, uh, Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn, I, I said a couple of things that was really contrary to their beliefs, and they're some of the greatest coaches in the world. Uh, but I said, look, I said, I don't, I said, I believe you get in shape to train. You don't train to get in shape. Because uh, I wanted some time with John before he went into camp to work with those guys. I wanted to manage fatigue, I wanted to make sure that he was prepared uh, so that when he went into camp, he, he was less susceptible to injury, um, you, you know, recover adequately. We could throw more high fatigue sessions at him because he would recover better. So it was one of the things that that in industry in general. The point being is is that they do believe that that just by fighting itself gets you in shape to fight, and that's your specific uh, physical preparedness. And I'm a big believer that you have to have that foundation, the general physical preparedness first, enables you to be less less susceptible to injury. Uh, potentially, you know, be able to train more and become a better fighter as a result. We saw this with, uh, who was it, Dmitry Klokov talked about that in the offseason. His dad would have him do a ton of cardio and he hated it because yeah. mm -hmm. he would get weak. Mm -hmm. But then when he transitioned into preparation for, you know, the World Championships or the Olympics, he was able to do so much more volume so much more often because he had this gas tank that would allow him to recover and his uh, joints and everything felt good. I said the thing that I thought hurt me most the last two years of my powerlifting career is that I had stopped competing in bodybuilding. Interesting. I was powerlifting longer and doing less volume in between. And I think that, that I actually, I don't feel like I progressed those last two years. Just like less muscle to potentiate, maybe it bogged down the system for being at a heavier body weight without that 
I would say I experienced the same thing because I overly specif- uh, specialized. Yeah. It was over specificity at that point where I was just doing squat bench deadlift. I had yeah. removed almost every accessory, removed the circuits, removed the conditioning because mm-hmm. I just thought that I had to be really concentrated on that to you get com- better. You were competing so frequently. That too, yeah. That was, that was, yeah. That was tough. Yeah, that's Some it. people knock on Louis Simmons, but that was kind of the foundation of, of uh, the volume was kind of the foundation of how he was able to compete so long into his, uh, you know, 50s and 60s and, and the like. It was more and more and more and more volume. Uh, and a lot of folks just associated it with, you know, the top lifts, the max effort days, but didn't right. see all the work that went in behind the scenes. I share my responsibilities in uh, Albuquerque with John Jones with a, a gentleman named Matt Whitmer who owns Beat Training out of... Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Matt was a strength and conditioning coach for uh, under uh, Buddy Morris out of Pittsburgh and then uh, the Detroit Lions. Um, uh, and he had the same, he, he trained with Louis for 12 years and competed over there. And so he has the same kind of uh, mindset in terms of uh, lots and lots of volume. And so we've been doing that with John. We do lots of volume, we train twice a day, every day. And we're doing lots of you know repetitions. We keep some max effort in there, but we have to be careful with the fatigue and the, the overloading. So we don't do too much eccentric. We do some concentric out of chains for heavy stuff, box squats, you know, anything we can to minimize fatigue, uh, which we kind of discussed today about you know how important that was in terms of uh, you know not declining over time with just too much workload. Right, and one of the hardest sports to do it for in my opinion, combat sports, is because the it's so hard to calculate what what is the tax on the actual practice of the skill. Yeah. Or what is the physiological tax on the practice of the skill and how is it like, yeah, fighters can probably, like old school boxers could probably get away with not weight training. With they were, what? Old school fighters, like boxers, could probably get away with not weight training because they couldn't recover from it because of the amount of fight training that they were doing. Yeah. So it's like their highest weighted variable at that point would probably have been weight training. But now I think it's the opposite. It's like, if your skill is there, like for you, like you stopped lifting before your DR fight, because mm-hmm. it was like, well, what's your highest weighted variable? It's like, is, you're the strongest woman in the world. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna get stronger? It's like, no, go be a better boxer. Yeah. Then once you start to see those scales start to tip, it's like, oh, okay, actually strength with that, or dynamic effort speed work, or concentric mm-hmm. overload, eccentric load, whatever is gonna be your highest weighted variable in training. Yeah, we sit in all sports now, you sit ever since, Tiger Woods started weightlifting. Now everybody in golf tries to weightlift, and and the same with the, the Williams sisters in tennis. Yeah. You know they kind of broke the mold, and now everybody's you know trying to make sure that they lift and get enough strength to to help improve their sport. So it is the foundation. It's crazy to see how far it's come, right? To go from like not like the Serena, uh, Venus and Serena are obviously outliers, but you know from 20, 30 years ago weightlifting in women to not being acceptable. Now all of a sudden it's they're pioneering that into yeah. the living rooms of women across yeah. the world. It's, it's a pretty wild evolution. And like, when we talk about evolution, you you alluded to like being in the fitness industry for 35 years. I'm like, Sam, I don't know if the fitness industry has been in the fitness industry for 35 years. <laughs> like you've seen everything yeah. Yeah. in all facets from, from strength conditioning to bodybuilding to powerlifting and now like with a yeah. higher focus on nutrition. Yeah, and I worked with the University of Oregon football team and their track team. And so I saw distance runners and sprinters, as well as the football players, both the, obviously the, uh, you know, the, the uh, wide receivers and the linemen. Yeah. And so you see how many different variables there were. Um, I, I gotta be honest with you, if, I, if there was one underlying thing, we're right back to the boring stuff, 
and you asked me about, you know, even John more recently, uh, it's, it's getting people to consistently do those boring things because they don't seem to be as important as they are to consistently sleep, consistently eat. Uh, I, just, I don't see that being as important to them as their sport, right. and they don't understand how that could make them better at their sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you said it so well, compliance is a science. I think that's, for me, like, the buy-in is always, like, and research is what research is, but, like, you're, you're a, a longitudinal cohort. Like, I look at you, and you said, hey, you're going to eat this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, sir, like, whatever you say. Because that is one of the hardest parts is, like, because it is arduous, people don't want to set down this path without absolute confidence. And it's like with you been walking all the walks of every part of the fitness industry. If you said that, like, okay, sounds good. Yep, you're the walking billboard for it. Because it's like, it, you can't do nutrition without training, right? And to, to be able to do both so well for so long is like, that's better science than anything I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's so multifactorial. Absolutely. I, and I always said it was good for me because I was, I was kind of, had ADHD as a kid. I was always kind of... What a gift. Yeah, that's what I thought because when I got into bodybuilding, just the repetitive nature and all of the different schedule events every day. I didn't. I didn't. I actually didn't go on any medications. I would have thought you had fish oils. Oh, no, no, no. I thought you meant for like ADHD medication. Oh, no, no, no. I meant like just feeding that, like bodybuilding, just being such a means of control for a kid like that. Yeah. And like the pill box and like my AM supplements and my magnesium before bed, my ZMA and all this. I can imagine you having it all. I was just so easily distracted by so many things. I always said that I can do 10 things in one minute, but if you ask me to do one thing for 10 minutes, you know, I have the attention span of a gnat. But that was the neat thing about sports or specifically bodybuilding at the time because it had so many little things that you did on a schedule yeah. all day long. So I, that, that, I think that it's probably helped me more than anything to be uh, the way I am. So it might be one of the reasons why I'm so still so consistent because when I'm not, if I don't have my meals or my sleep or you know something, a schedule for me, then I'm just kind of lost. I don't know what I'm what I'm, yeah, what I'm that's how do. I feel all the time. Say, idle mind, devil's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I haven't gotten myself into too much trouble. Is yeah, the idle mind is the devil's, devil's playground? <laughs> it's hard to be yeah. idle. I get myself in enough trouble for both of us. Yeah, yeah. she's wearing leather pants for Christ's sake. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, when we were out here over the summer, last summer, I brought Bobby through. Uh, he, uh, uh, Bobby and I went over and, and had dinner. And Bobby still talks about how much steak we ate. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you know, I'll bet they planned on having leftovers. <laughs> and Bobby and I burned through. I mean, you guys made like eight steaks, a whole grill full of steaks, and set them out. And Bobby and I just kept cutting and eating and cutting so and good. eating. And we just burned through. Oh, it was amazing. So good. We must have burned through four pounds, five we pounds We were like steak. Wagyu and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't see food lasting long in front of this guy. No, especially meat. Yeah, yeah don't hundred. buy expensive steak for me because I'm just gonna I'll burn through it no matter what. I'll always buy expensive <laughs> steak for you. Thank you. That Not for awesome. you because you couldn't even order me a, a, a poke. That's I'm used to. It. I know to buy my own shit when I'm here. That's cool. Yeah? I've got I've I've there's I guarantee you right now if I go to your house there's egg whites in your fridge that I bought six months ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guarantee. Yeah? I bought I purchased actually, more groceries in your house than you ever have. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Anyway, yes, we'll, we'll Stan, thank you so much later. for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it's been great to come down and see your seminar with you and Pat. And uh, I hope to take home some lessons and be able to use them 
Fingers crossed. Yeah. I hope so now if the pressure's off. I'm concerned about tomorrow. I think they're going to put us through some... I don't think it's anything you can't Some handle. work. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, it always starts that way. We'll see. I'm sure you can handle it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.